Well, well. <laughs> <laughs> we're here to start talking about what does it mean to be human? How are we human? I don't know. We're still figuring it out. We're figuring a lot of things out. I'm Craig. <laughs> and I'm Carla. And we're trying to understand being human from the perspective, perspective of God's story in the Bible. It's more than just being a species like Homo sapiens. We think it's about community, about relationships, and about welcoming. We're figuring it out, still. So, join us as we do. Because we're not holier than you. Oh, I didn't want that to rhyme. I'm Carla. Oh, and I'm Craig. Yes, and we are not holier than you. Oh, and our dog is barking at somebody or something. Oh, there's a car out front and a person walking that's away quite from the house. That's quite okay. So it, was a, it was a planned thing. Oh, okay. <laughs> sorry, sorry to get off task there. Now the dog is just barking like crazy, and hopefully you won't be hearing her. But she is maybe helping to lead into what we're going to be talking about this evening or well it's evening for us i don't know about for you we want to remind you that we have been thinking about what it means to be human and carry the image of god within us and so we are going to look at the verses from genesis 1 that we've been thinking about genesis 1 26 and 27 then God said, let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So we've been thinking about that. Um, we've thought about the light that is in us. And we've been thinking a little bit about, well, what does that mean now that we have these ideas that we carry God's image within us, that God has placed God's image in each and every human being um, that has been born and created, and that there is light if we uh, think about how the friends think about uh, that there's that light in each person. So what does that mean? What does it matter? And we were thinking about that and how we might maybe think, where do we go from here? So. Yeah. And I think another piece of that was in, in the, that, that Genesis passage is the image of God was in the male and female. It was in the unity of the people together. Yes. Which then, you know, I think where do we go with that? It is how do we go to uh, reconcile the broken pieces of human relationships so that, because I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that the image of God that is in me or the image of God that is in you isn't going to be all that the image of God could be if we're just independent and separate from each other. Right. And, and even in some cases, um, what we were watching earlier this week, if there's going to be reconciliation, that means there has to have been a good relationship before that. And so sometimes there's not even that good relationship along the way. 
And so instead of reconciling, we might actually be building something new. Something new, yeah. Um, and it's harder to build something. We've especially learned this recently, it seems, than it is to tear something down and to tear something apart. And we picked up that from watching that Lutheran documentary. What was the name of it? Do you remember? Oh, gosh. Uh, no, I don't. I'm it was, sorry. It, it, it seemed to be a lot of uh, pastors and church leaders from Minnesota who were mm -hmm. talking about, was it White Savior, White Jesus? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Yes. Uh, anyway, good film if you can get it, if you can figure out the title from what we just said. But White uh, and then an S comes yeah. after we'll, it. Try, we'll look it up and got. stick it in show notes, you know, in the, in the podcast notes. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I brought up a really good thing. How do you reconcile when there's not been in a, a, a relationship previous? Right. Yeah. Thinking of enslaved people and, and the white people who own them, that that wasn't a relationship that we want reconciled. Yeah. That's not what we're looking to do. So it's looking to build new ways of relating to one another. You know, I think I, I, I agree, but there's a part of me that also, also wants to uncover something that existed long before anything went wrong, which was God's family. Every human being is part of God's family. Right. Every and, human being. And, and nobody's left out. And in some ways, that's part of that creating something new or reconciling, whatever the word may be. But it's it's a primordial, you know, ancient reality, I think, or belief that everybody's part of God's family. But most people haven't lived their lives or cultures or eons haven't gone on like that. Anyway, so that that's kind of going over where we've been. Yeah. And so we want to think about where to go. What do we do with this knowledge? I mean, we don't want it just to be in our heads. We want it to be in our hearts and um, something that then also can flow through us outwardly to those we meet. And so how do we do that or what does that mean? And so those are some questions that we want to think about in this episode. So one of the ways of doing that, and again, it's not like, oh, how do we do that? Oh, here's plan, plan A step one or step two and these are concrete actions that you can go do i mean there's plenty of those but some people like that right but i mean i but i, I i'm still thinking I, I tend to think theoretically put the abstract foundations down there and then we have that to go back to and create and innovate and do what the situation offers you know what i mean to use it as it to, to be able to flow with um, yeah, a yeah. situation flow within right. um, the Cause, wording. Because not every seven steps of how to be a, a whatever fit to every single situation, okay. you know, I guess. Okay. But but the what came to my mind this week <clears throat> were a couple of things. One was several weeks ago, played that recording of the baby laughing and mentioned the concept of empathy and how I think empathy is that there's something in the way we are wired as human beings. Uh, and in fact, when empathy is really strong, I, I wish I could remember the neuroscience behind it, but actually people's brains begin firing in the same areas uh, in conversation with each other. Uh, it's this being in sync with the other, which is just an amazing uh, level of reciprocity. And, and that, that means there's something in that other that draws us 
kind of out of ourselves, understanding their situation or reality. And then it speaks to us internally too. I mean, it's, it's both people kind of being in each other. Uh, connecting deeper con- than a connection. Yeah. Though. Connecting deeper than a handshake. It's, it's going inside. And so when you listen to the recording of a child laughing, you don't go, Oh, that's laughter. What a happy sound. No, people start to smile and sometimes people begin to laugh. It's affecting them in, internally. Okay. And so that was one thought that came to my mind, that, right. that, that thing of empathy. But it also made me think of the lack of empathy and when it seems so glaring and so obvious. And, so, you, know, I, you know, I don't have um, dates and newspaper articles to, to list them. But it seems like a common uh, understanding that, you know, or a, not an understanding, but a, a familiar story that when somebody suffers some violence, um, there, there's always going to be, it seems, somebody who says, well, it served them right, or they were asking for it. And, you know, the, the most atrocious examples, I was listening to one podcaster today who was reading through Psalm 51 and talking about that. And he was saying, you know, one out of six women have been um, sexually abused. And it's much higher than that, but because so many people do not report yes. because they don't want to be shamed. Correct. And so and that idea of blaming the victim, why, why do we not have empathy for the victim regardless of any of the other other details. And so, you know, then my mind began thinking of the, the fellow who was shot by police in a fast food restaurant. I think it was maybe last spring or I last remember fall. hearing about it within the last and, year. And he was running away, but he wasn't fast. And the police officer, I think he took the taser. All the officer needed to do is tackle the guy. Yeah. Anyway, the officer shot the man. The man died. And response was, well, he just should have, he shouldn't have run. He should have just done what the police said. And, and again, it's like, can't we care about the individual who was executed rather than going to trial? Can't and, we just say he shouldn't have been shot, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. It it sometimes feels like, or it seems like, there's too too quick. A, a, we call it a trigger finger. Okay too quick to react, too quick to um, make a decision, not always knowing what the consequences will be and the consequences may not be positive, but knowing that they may not be positive. Right. right. And, and there's that sense of, Oh, compliance. And then when you were talking about uh, one in six women have been sexually assaulted, very often we put blame on the woman. She shouldn't have been dressed that way. She shouldn't have gone out and been drinking. Uh, perhaps she shouldn't have been act- acting a certain way or led somebody on. And when, when she said no, no wasn't believed. Um, yeah. And that puts all the blame on the woman instead of, well, why are men doing this to women? And let's also admit that sometimes women do this to men as well, but it is a smaller percentage of, of 
an assault that way, but it's still wrong. Yeah, yeah. I think the statistic was one in 33 men. Uh, and that's pretty, yeah. that's pretty alarming yeah. as well. But it, 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 it came up in the news uh, earlier this week, the, the eight people who were killed in, in Atlanta, in Georgia. I think, yeah, it was Atlanta. And the mayor of Atlanta, and I forgot her name, but she was in a press conference and a, and a reporter asked a question about whether or not the um, places that these women were working were um, se sexually oriented massage parlors, you know, or were they just, you know, massage therapy? And, you know, if there was anything illegal, I think was the word he used about it. And the, the mayor, um, was her last name Bottoms? Yeah, I, I don't recall. But the mayor's response was, we are not going to engage anything that blames, in any way that blames the victim. It doesn't matter what they were doing. It, this is not right. the way we, we go about things. And so it, why, why what, how does the image of God, if we believe the image of God is in other people, how do we, how can we even use that blame language? I mean, how do we, what, what happens in us that we forget that or... Right. And it can go other directions. I mean, you know, it, it could not have even been somebody was shot, but you're thinking, well, they got what they deserved. Um, I, I was even talking about something like this this morning with some of our my students. I said, boy, it sounds like you're thinking that they got what they deserved, right? <laughs> the kid said, yeah, you know, this is an 11 year old kid saying that. So we, we teach them young. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, we do have this idea of fairness, but we don't have the understanding of understanding the other person's pain, walking a mile in their shoes kind of a thing. Yeah. It was interesting because we were talking about things that, that make us mad yesterday or, or we really, really don't like. And kids brought up the terms inequality and injustice. And um, yet their thought was, one of them said, well, if we just took the in off of the beginning, then we have it. And I said, well, not quite. <laughs> <laughs> and yet I do see in students a lot of times that they do have an, an ability to think empathetically. Now, it's not all the time, <laughs> mind you, but they can do it. And so to me, that says, so can we. I kind of wonder if our culture trains it out of them. Yeah. Over time. Well, right. let, I, want to, I want to read something about empathy. Okay. So this came up today in a, in a Facebook conversation from a, a friend of mine <clears throat> and saw it posted and I thought, what are you talking about? But, um, some uh, wonderful uh, theologically minded person uh, was trying to assert that empathy is a sin. Wow. And uh, a sin. A sin. Yeah. A yeah, sin. Yeah. Huh. And that I had to ask, where in the world did that come from? So I don't really want to say the pod, uh, the name of the the, the website because I really don't want to draw any traffic there. Exactly. I mean, if you really want to know it, you can you can send me a text and I'll I'll give you I'll the details, you. <laughs> but I, no, nobody else needs to know about this. But there was a, an article where, where the writer um, presumes to take on C.S. Lewis's language from the screw tape letters and carry oh. on that image and metaphor of writing to 
wormwood from Uncle Screwtape and giving instructions about how to lead humans astray and all that kind of stuff and, and how God's people, the enemy, you know, can be susceptible to different temptations. And it, first of all, it was just horrific that anybody would try to replicate C.S. Lewis. It's just, that's oh, wrong. definitely. That's just wrong. <laughs> I just, I, it would be great if the C.S. Lewis uh, uh, people would just like maybe sue him for copyright infringement or something. <laughs> but as he wrote on uh, in the voice of uh, Uncle Screwtape telling Wormwood how to, you know, just, you know, make, make a mess of human lives, wrote this. Um, now sufferers have been placed, have been placing such impossible demands on others from time immemorial. In response, our armies have fought for decades to twist the enemy's virtue of compassion into its counterfeit, empathy. Since we introduced the term a century ago, we've steadily taught the humans to regard empathy as an improvement upon compassion or sympathy. Compassion only suffers with another person. Empathy suffers in them. It's a total immersion into the pain, sorrow, and suffering of the afflicted. Under our influence, we've taught the humans to think, quote, only a heartless and unfeeling beast could oppose such a total immersion, such a generous act of love, end quote. Our recent success in this conceptual migration has given us ample opportunity for mayhem. Immersion is wrong to try to understand and see from another's perspective is wrong. Is well, it, 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 and it goes on to explicitly state empathy is a sin. Yeah. Wow. Um, and then the, the phrase that got me, and you and I were just talking about this a while ago, that immersion phrase, immersion into the pain, sorrow, and suffering of the afflicted. And it's like, who do I know? And who do I trust? And, and who have I tried to give my life to who actually entered into the pain and sorrow and suffering of others? Gosh, oh, can you think of anybody? No. Yeah. What uh, about Jesus? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, God taking on our flesh and the person of Jesus has entered into the affliction, has joined us, has truly been able to empathize and god doesn't us. just walk alongside us while we're suffering you know i mean jesus enters into our into our reality i mean hebrews talks about how jesus so intimately is connected to everything we've experienced well i'm trying to get to hebrews right now no, <laughs> i'm struggling with at the moment because i didn't think about this until just now but um, Hebrews is, has been a, a book that has truly uh, touched me. But one of the first things that I even think about, besides the fact at the beginning of Hebrews, it talks about that um, God is the, or that Jesus is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. In chapter two, it says it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom all things exist bringing many children to glory should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through sufferings and saying how closely Jesus has understood us. Therefore he had to become like his brothers and sisters in every respect 
so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make a sacrifice of atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself was tested by what he suffered, he is able to help those who are being tested. I don't know. That and and tells what, me what something. chapter and verse right there? Oh, um, chapter 2. Right. Uh, I started in verse, verse 10 and then 14 through right. 18. And then 415 has another phrase that, that amplifies some you, of that. Are you going to read that or do you want oh, me to? Oh, I'll, I'll go ahead and read okay. it. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize, uh, <laughs> using the New International Version, to oh. unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. My version, the New Revised, says sympathize. Interesting. Interesting, yeah. I, yeah. So maybe maybe the uh, New Revised Standard Version Committee read this article. Oh, <laughs> I hope not. I doubt it. I doubt it, too. <laughs> um, so what, while we're reading the Bible, so, so think of a story. I was thinking of some stories of people who are unacceptable people who others may just blame them for the misfortune they're experiencing. And what does Jesus do with that story? Or how does he enter into those lives? And with, without getting into depth of, of, thing, you know, of it all, there's a concept of intersectionality. Would you explain that concept? Okay. Many people may not understand it. So intersectionality is simply naming the social reality that an individual fulfills multiple roles and as a social reality means they connect with other people who have share that reality. And, um, and it's a way we structure our understanding of people, groups of people, our own relationships with others. And so one, one the common example is we have three people, um, black man, a black woman, and a white man. Okay, so we've got um, three people here. The, the black man and the black woman share an understanding of some of the racial issues that, that African Americans experience. But they also kind of break down when they may not understand the experiences of the, 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 um, between men and women. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but the black man may understand things with the black man because they understand what, I mean, with yeah. the white, with the white man, yes. because they under, understand issues of, of maleness as it's, you know, socially defined, you know, in, in our culture. And so all of a sudden they have a connection there, but they don't have a connection on the racial issues. Now we can make that thing even more and more complex on multiple levels because we could say, you know, we are, I mean, if you stop and think of all the social roles you fulfill, you are a teacher, you are, you're a woman, you're a married person, um, mm-hmm. you're a neighbor, you are a pastor, you are white, um, you, you, I mean, you go on and on. Uh, grandmother. Grandmother. <laughs> mother. And, and let's say you're in a waiting area because you're great at conversations with strangers. So let's say you're waiting in a waiting area and you see somebody and like you always do, you just start up chit chat and have a conversation. You do that pretty easily. And, and next thing you know, you're talking about grandkids and you're both beaming about grandkids. You've made this, you know, it's really a real connection and it's worth celebrating that people can make those connections. But then as you walk out of the grocery store and you go to your car and this person goes to their car, you notice 
you know, I don't know what, the NRA stickers or the Go Broncos or <laughs> whatever else makes you feel like, ooh, queasy, or maybe something even worse. Mm, yeah. And then they take on another social role. And all those different roles, they intersect and they, they overlap. And, and sometimes we connect with one of those roles and sometimes we don't connect with others. But I think the challenge of understanding that this image of God is in everybody is to find those layers where we can make that connection. And, and the question is, what do we do with those parts that are hard to accept? So do you remember the story that the Quakers told us about uh, the, the apocryphal story of uh, Ben Franklin and um, George Fox? Yes. about Ben Franklin carrying the sword. Yes. And George Fox's response was, carry it as long as, as you can. can. Yeah. And it was, the ideal is still lay down your sword, but let God speak that to you. So transformation is, a, is, is, a, is that hope that we carry. And it's ongoing. Correct, yeah. So I think that that's, that's, a, that's more of a spiritual temperament or a practice. Yeah. But... But so two stories I was thinking of that that kind of maybe think of intersectionally. Okay. You know the one and, and they're really famous, familiar stories. Um, one is the story that that Jesus tells about the wounded man and the people who just pass him by. So usually that, known as the this um, the man who the good Samaritan helps. Correct. And the, the beginning of that passage, though, begins not with like, oh, you know, do you know what a good Samaritan is? Right. It begins with a legal expert who says, what must I do to gain eternal life? That's right. what enters this, this story. So it's it's not about um, it's the self question. What do I need to do? What what do I get? How can I achieve this? And Jesus tells this story about basically loving your neighbor as yourself. And so do you want me to go ahead and read it? Uh, it. Sure. Okay. You have it right there. And Jesus, Jesus, well, the, the man asked, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He encountered thieves who stripped, who stripped him naked, beat him up and left him near death. Now, it just so happened that a priest was also going down the same road when he saw the injured man. He crossed over to the other side of the road and went on his way. Likewise, a Levite came by that same spot, saw the injured man, and crossed over to the other side of the road and went on his way. A Samaritan, who was on a journey, came to where the man was, but when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. The Samaritan went to him and bandaged his wounds, tending them with oil and wine. Then he placed the wounded man on his own donkey took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took two full days' worth of wages and gave them to the innkeeper. He said, take care of him, and when I return, I will pay you back for additional costs. What do you think? Which one of these three was a neighbor to the man who encountered thieves? Then the legal expert said, the one who demonstrated mercy toward him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. What's interesting is what the the one distinctive characteristic that Jesus says about the Samaritan was what did he do? He didn't cross to the other side. The word was compassion. Yeah. Yeah. Which 
I'm not going to split hairs over the Greek, but I would not say it's terribly different than empathy. He saw something in that person who needed help. Who needed help. Now, thinking of the different roles there, the kind of that intersectionality piece, what, what, would, what would connect a Samaritan? Wherever they are, they're going someplace where there's Levites and priests. So they're in, you know, probably around in and around Jew, Jerusalem or Galilee, probably not in Samaria because the Samaritan's traveling. So he's right. in Jewish lands rather than Samaritan lands. Well, I've heard that this is a specific place that was very a very narrow canyon and robbers were often there mm -hmm. ready to prey upon travelers. Um, but maybe the Samaritan was Jewish? That wouldn't be no, 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 no. Well, the Samaritans were kind of a, a, a synchronistic Judaism. They're still Jewish, but they were yeah. blended with others. Yeah, but but they're but they're outcast. But I was just thinking that maybe you know I don't the intersectionality would I guess be. Apparently, he was male and he was a traveler. So those yeah. are two areas. Right. Um, obviously, he must not. He must have just been an ordinary sort of fellow. He wasn't maybe a religious leader, but we don't know that for mm -hmm. sure. The the one thing that captures my my attention is the man was moved by compassion, and he had an emotional response to this person. Mm -hmm. And Jesus doesn't make it clear. Did he see this person was being ignored by others? Yeah, you know, we True. don't we don't know that. Um, unless he had, unless he was going, uh, unless he would have crossed um, paths with the Levite and the. Um, um priest because they were going in opposite directions so but here the, i think the one thing that comes to my mind here is an individual who's been beaten and cast aside and ignored mm -hmm. which is how the jews treated samaritans yeah ignored ostracized okay. set apart as as um you know, they, they, yeah, I mean, I, I use I use the word synchronistic, you know, that they had these different things, but it's because they they accepted Assyrian cultures during the Assyrian uh, Empire and started worshiping on the mountain, not in the temple. And that's a question. That's a conversation Jesus has with the woman at the well about what yeah. you worship. Right. And and so here's this person who's an outcast, the Samaritan, finding somebody else who's an outcast. Now, right. the chances are. That person who got beat up was a Jew who might go, I don't like Samaritans. <laughs> it, it, that doesn't matter. Right. But the fact that he was stripped, that he was bleeding, that he was almost dead. Um, that's one reason that both of the religious leaders passed him by, because he would have made them unclean. Right. And and I, I don't know, maybe they thought, well, you shouldn't have been walking here. If it's a dangerous place, like Carla said. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that so could very well it's, be. It's your fault. He was asking for it. Right. That's very possible that yeah, you shouldn't have been going through. Here I mean, so, why, was this, why were they going through? So there, there is some there is some exclusionary judgment used by the priest and the Levite. Yeah, I never thought of that before. And the only thing we know about the Samaritan is there's none of that, and it's just compassion. Right. In in the New Revised Standard here, it says pity. Pity's not a bad word. It gets a bad rap. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, yeah, and he really goes all out to take care of this 
man so, has been harmed. So how do we, you know, are there people that we probably could connect with and have compassion with if we, if we don't know their full story? Is it might be easier to be compassionate to them? Well, you know, it's really interesting because I was uh, reading something where a woman was sharing her her um, conversation that she had, and she re in in light of what happened in Atlanta. I believe she is of Asian descent, descent, and so she reached out to someone that she had gone to school with, and kind of said, hey, this is kind of awkward, but you said some things when we were kids, and, you know, it kind of hurt my feelings. I've carried it with me. And the response was really positive. The fellow was very sorry. He knew he was. He used a specific kind of word. Uh, Yeah. Anyway, uh, he said what kind of person he had been, and he kind of gives some context as to how he had gotten that way, but he was not wanting to be that way anymore. And he was really sorry that that had happened to her because of him. And it was really, I don't know, a neat story in that he began to have compassion or empathy. Is is compassion a muscle? Is it something that needs to get exercised in strange ways for us to, and then it becomes more well, yeah, familiar. Or? I think it is. Okay. I think it is. We can see that there are people who seem to have very little, if any, compassion. They may have them for the people who are of their immediate family. I mean, and Jesus said, "What is it? What credit is it to you if you love those who love who love you back?" But to love those who are not loving you back, that's where it's pretty gets gets to the nitty gritty of things. So, yeah, for her to reach out and for the fellow to be honest and say, wow, I'm really sorry that 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 I did that. I, I'm you know, I, I hate that that happened now. He he had a change in his life, but there they're not that she needed to reach out and I'm not trying to say that, but just the whole fact that of what you were saying before. So anyway, so I think it's, it, that'd be a fun story to talk about at a little bit at length, but we won't do it now because there's another Bible story. The, you mean the story of the Samaritan? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's some other things perhaps to talk about, like, well, how do you do that? Yeah. But um, there's another story that I think is part of, it's, you know, it's crossing these social boundaries again. Right. And, and Jesus seems to do that with ease. Yeah, um, he does. He crosses those social boundaries. Uh, he sees those intersecting opportunities that others might miss. You know, we don't see the intersecting lines, I guess, or the connections, because there's some other definition of that other person that becomes so glaring, so powerful that we can't see the the human part, the, the image of God piece. Uh, and, and, God, and Jesus isn't blinded by all the others, just sees that piece and crosses social boundaries. Right. So the other story comes to the Gospel of John. Yes. And it begins at either chapter 7, verse 53, or at 8, verse 1. Well, to be perfectly honest, I'm looking at even a little before uh, oh, okay. Chapter seven fifty three, 
almost with 50, St. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus before and who was one of them, asked, Our law does not judge people without first giving them a hearing to find out what they are doing. Never thought about this in connection to the rest of the story here. And he says, he, yeah. he asks, does it? And they replied, surely you are not also from Galilee, are you? Search and you will see that no prophet is to arise from Galilee. So I find that piece there. Our law does not judge people without first giving them a hearing to find out what they are doing, does it? Right. I mean, apparently it does. So so with that, I mean, it was Jewish law that uh, something had to be attested to by at least two people. Right. Not, oh, not, not, I mean, if there's more, that's great, but at least two, that's the minimum. Right. And that's what happens to Jesus when he's before uh, the Sanhedrin and being tried, being tried. Right. Um, and so did you want me to read this whole story? Yeah. Yeah. Because okay. that is a great, I hadn't thought about the Nicodemus quote there because it leads perfectly into this next this, part. Uh, what do you call a kangaroo court? Not of that, a lynching trial kind of yeah. thing. Then... Each of them went home while Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And making her stand before all of them, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, of Mo in the law Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They said this to test him so that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again, he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the elders. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, sir. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on, do not sin again. Yeah, it's interesting. I think a lot of, a lot of times when I've heard that story, and not to blame evangelicals for everything, the whole emphasis I hear on that story is, Go and sin no more. It's yeah. like, but that's not the whole point. Because telling somebody don't go sin anymore is no big deal when somebody first has said, nobody's condemning you here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's almost like there isn't really a sin to tell you not to go do because right. I'm not condemning you of anything. But so what, you know, what are the what are the different ways that Jesus connects with people and gets people to connect with each other and that he connects with this woman? What are, I mean, to me, it's fascinating because the number of social interactions or connections there okay and you're thinking of the fact that he starts off with nicodemus well not so much yeah. there, but i think that sets up the trial that that doesn't have the witnesses yeah <laughs> you know yeah. the scribes and the pharisees are saying she was caught in the very act yeah so where are the witnesses where's yeah. the man well okay sorry yes yeah i, I, I mean I, I'm, there's, I'm there's a lot about the trial that doesn't that's not good there. doesn't fit there yeah yeah but but what does Jesus say to them about to, to, about stoning her? But the first among you who is without sin. And then I remember you know, there had been this wondering, well, what did Jesus start writing in this, yeah. the dirt? And 
uh, I think I've seen some sort of movie where it, it translates as words and it's showing different kinds of sin. Hmm. And the people, the scribes and Pharisees and others kind of look at that and go, oh, yeah, I've sinned that way. And off they go, realizing. And, and, and so what, what he creates in a positive way and forces them to temper their, their sense of indignation and their desire to pass judgment is he connects them one with each other with the fact that they all have sin. They've all fallen. They've all, you know, they're all guilty of something. Of something. And, and so all of a sudden these people who thought of themselves as separate from this woman who they caught and were calling a sinner, Jesus with just a few words has put them all in this social group that we would call those who have sinned, which is like everyone. Yeah. And so it's it's bringing these uh, leaders and elders into kind of a common shared humanity. And they were really setting themselves up and apart, a separate able to judge. And like, no, you, you can't do that. Yeah. To be able to see that that human in the other and hopefully sense the image of God in the other. Yeah, you know, we don't find that out from these people. You know, what what they what they thought or if all of a sudden they repented and decided to live a new way of life. But Nicodemus was on the way, but he's not really a part of the story. No, but it's interesting with that with that statement there. Yeah. So, I think maybe the thoughts that we would like to think about. Well, I also don't um, want to leave the woman alone. Okay. Because, oh, okay. Because it, I mean, it goes back to the issue of empathy, I believe. Jesus understood her feeling of alone, her, her feeling alone. She was not alone in the sin. There was somebody else there who was not around. Exactly. Uh, she was bearing the burden of sin that wasn't hers. It's almost like Paul says of Jesus that he was made Jeez. he was made to be sin on our, behalf. on our behalf. I mean, there's something there about carrying the burden of others. Sure, she was perhaps an accomplice. We don't have any witnesses. Maybe she wasn't, <laughs> but right. there were no witnesses there. But the idea of being left alone for um, a sin that's shared with others, you know, Jesus, that's what he did. He took on the sin of others. She was taking on unwillingly the sin of others. I think there's this immediate connection with, with, with Jesus and her that he understood the pain that she was carrying and the burden she would have to bear. And it's like, that's not, that's not for her. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just always amazed when I think, when I think back to that passage from Hebrews, um, being able to think about the fact that Jesus in his life, um, you know, really came to understand our lived out experiences. Um, so I think, one of the things I'd like us to be thinking about is, um, it's slipped my mind. Well, I think, so part, I think, I think, <laughs> I think a, a interesting thing to have a conversation about is look at these passages and maybe other passages where Jesus is crossing, you know, social boundaries or going places it's taboo, you know, or whatever. Uh, and then finding these connections with people. I mean, the Syrophoenician woman is a great one because he wants to hold the tab. He wants to hold the barrier between him and this woman 
Yeah. And she's going, wait, don't even dogs, shouldn't the dogs get some crumbs? And Jesus goes, okay, yeah, you get some crumbs, you know, but it's like that there is this connecting that is taking place, crossing social boundaries. You know, Jesus talks to a woman at the well, what are you talking with a woman for? You know, yeah. it's this continually finding the image of God in the other where people were told you're not supposed to look and find it. Right. I guess what I was thinking too is maybe thinking about why is empathy comp- considered a sin by some, by some, by some, Hopefully, and how do we help others see that it isn't? What is wrong with empathy? Look what Jesus did for us. So, okay. So that's right. good. So <laughs> let's keep those things in mind and have a discussion about that. And sorry, we got this one out so late this week, but, um, It was a week. It was a week. Yeah. All right. We will talk to you later. Thanks for listening. Bye. This is Craig. And this is Carla. We're not holier than you. (laughs) All right. Well, hey, thank you for uh, listening to our conversation. Not holier than you. (laughs) Uh, And boy, we really like that title because I think it's true. Correct. I thought I'd have to say it so quickly. Oh, I'm sorry. I know I'm not holier than anybody else. Oh, I thought else you meant here. me. Okay. No, no, no. So I'm talking to, about myself. Uh, so we're a couple of pastors. Yep. We pastor a small congregation of Anabaptist Mennonites here in, in Idaho. Meridian, Idaho. Meridian, Idaho. Yep. We're just learning this stuff and trying to figure it out along with you. So if you if we say something that's heretical or horrible or you think we're just wrong, that's okay. We probably we might be. We're learning as we go. Well, I don't think we're heretical in any way, but... um, (laughs) I try a little. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, um, we are glad that you joined us, and we hope that you'll join us again. Great. All right. See ya. Thank you. Bye. Bye.